We'll be reading from Colossians 3, verses 1 to 11. That's on page 955 of your pew Bibles. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life, has, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, malice, rage, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The word of the Lord. I had to make sure that I place this like this so there's no product placement happening this morning. Before we start our uh, message, I would love it if we could spend some time in prayer. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the tradition that I grew up, this was called the prayer for illumination. Isn't that a beautiful sentiment? And that would that be that God would illuminate the word for us. He would open our eyes to see what's in it. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning, and it's the second Sunday of Advent, and it is the time we celebrate the joy to the world. Thank you, Father, that your scripture opens up what true joy is to us. I pray, Father, that we all would have our hearts and minds opened to what you are saying to us today. May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Now, whenever we look at a passage, I always like to look at the context in which that passage was written. A little bit of a history lesson, only because it kind of tells me what the purpose of that passage is. So today, when we look at Colossians 3, I kind of want to go back and talk a little bit about Colossians 1 and 2. But first of all, this is a letter that is written to Paul, or Paul writes while he is in prison, and he is writing this letter to the church of Colossae. Now, it's probably a church plant church that he hasn't been able to spend much time in. Uh, it is started by Epaphras, and Epaphras is coming to prison to talk to Paul and tell him a little bit about what's going on in that church. It's not a tattletale situation. However, there are some things that Paul needs to remind the Colossians of. And one of them is that they are being influenced by the culture of the day. Doesn't that sound familiar? There truly is nothing new under the sun. He is being, uh, they are being taught by false teachers who want them to worship angels 
and follow different rules and ceremonies. And Paul wants to correct their thinking. There we go. Paul wants to correct their thinking in a letter, and he wants to stress to them that Christ is sufficient for all. There is nothing that we need beyond what Christ's sacrifice has fulfilled for us on the cross. Now, Paul's letter is addressing some of those issues that Epaphras has raised, and he's challenging them to greater devotion in Jesus, to Jesus. Now, it's good, again, to remember that the Colossian church is very young. As a matter of fact, one commentary, who obviously had someone writing it with a little bit of a sense of humor, said, these believers were still dripping wet from their baptism. That's how new they were. Chapter 1 and 2, just to save us some time, and because it's how I like to work, I bullet-pointed some major points that Paul is trying to drive home. The first is that Jesus is the exalted Messiah. The second is that Paul's suffering is for this exalted Messiah. The third, he starts using words like new humanity, new person, put off the old self, put on the new. And this is where we start to really hear that. So he's asking them or reminding them that they are a new humanity in Christ. And that Christ is the head of their body. And they are now Jesus' people. That is a great sentiment. We are Jesus' people. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, God is reconciled to humanity. And lastly, that Jesus dwells in all of us. So these are the points that chapters 1 and 2 are beginning to lead the Colossians in. And now he's going to start addressing some of the pressures that are tempting the Colossians to kind of go off path. They are being confronted by mystical polytheism, which is the worship of many gods. So you can imagine that in their arena, they would have all of these idols and Jesus would just be another idol added on to that long list that they were already worshiping. Now, that is the pressure that came from the Romans. From the Jews, there was additional pressure. They wanted these new Christians to observe the laws of the Torah. That would be eating kosher, um, observing fasting days, and being circumcised. So now these freshly minted Christians are stuck in between the culture of the Romans and the Greeks and the cultures of the Jews, and they're all being kind of led astray. Paul is telling them to, to follow either way is compromise and a failure to grasp who Jesus is, who Jesus will be, who Jesus is and will continue to be. Paul is reminding them that Jesus triumphs over all spiritual powers, over all the gods, and he also is this, the fulfillment of, of the Torah. So beyond that, there is nothing else needed. Verse 2 of chapter 3 starts with this, set your minds on things above, not earthly things. And now Paul is going to get to the nitty-gritty of dealing with the behaviors that were happening in the Colossian church. Now when we read this, before we think that this is just to the Colossians, this is a word to Bethel. This is a word to me. So I read this very intentionally putting myself as a person that Paul is writing this letter to. Verses 5 to 9. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
It is coming on those that are disobedient. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self, here we hear that new humanity language, you've taken off your old self with its practices. Now, there was a word in verse 8, the word malice. We don't actually see that word very often, and I was kind of wondering what the context of that word is. And because I had to take Greek, I can now read Greek, and that word is kakia. Kakia is translated as vicious or malignant action against others. Slander and foul talk are translated as malicious and evil speech. When we see the word malicious, there is nothing godly or good about it. Malicious, its intent is to destroy and compromise. So Paul is instructing the Colossian church and us at Bethel Church that even our speech comes under the authority of Jesus Christ. The charge from Paul is that we must live together in such a way that even our speech to and about someone should be uplifting. Paul's teaching reminds us that our old humanity, our old self, was crucified with Jesus. We are new. And as such, even our speech should reflect that newness of who we are. Our unity with each other as a new creation, a new humanity, should reflect that change because our sins have been crucified. You see, at the time of the divisions between the Greeks and the Jews, it was virtually unbridgeable because the Jews would not associate with those who were uncircumcised. And it gets worse from there. The Greeks aren't recognized by the Jews, and they, in, re in return, regarded foreigners as barbarians and the Romans as Scythians. That's the word we see in that verse. And the Scythians were a nomadic warrior tribe, and when they captured you, you would become their slave, and they would immediately blind you. And that's who they're coming up against. Paul says the culture of the time was wrong. And in verse 11, he specifically says, here there is no Gentile or Jew. Circumcision doesn't matter. Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. And here are the words that we're going to camp on today. But Christ is all and is in all. This verse points towards Jesus as the adequate Christ, the more than adequate Christ, who is a supreme unifying agent between Greek, Roman, Jew, New Christian. The old life that had a hold on the Colossian church no longer has a hold on us. We are called to have Christ redeem everything in our actions and speech, and we are to desire to be a unified body. Freedom from our old ways is what we profess, profess this season. Joy in our unity as believers is a joy that we profess in each season. And if I have to be very real and very honest, I did not want to preach this. Because it's hard sometimes to have joy in this season. And so my question is, is it hard for you? 
and how are you, really? I have found myself succumbing to anxious thoughts in this season. You know the kind, the heart-racing, breath-stopping anxiety. And I miss my mom. We're walking into a season, there's just another empty chair. And some of you have the same feelings and the same thoughts going in your minds. And it's tough to be caught because everybody is busy and spinning in their busyness and it seems to come against us. So I've had to ask myself some questions while I was preparing this. Am I the only one that's feeling this? Chronic anxiety is something that I then looked up. Seems to be an anti-joy kind of thing, but here we go. Chronic anxiety has increased in, in mental health issues are on the rise in the last few years. Did you know that in the last two decades, suicide rates have risen by 30%? And did you know that for the first time in the modern era, even before the pandemic, life expectancy rates are starting to decline? And I wondered, what is causing all these mental health issues? Well, many point to the loneliness that we've experienced in the pandemic. The pandemic shut down workplaces and schools and increased our isolation. But it's begun to impact a generation of young people in a whole new way. The inability to gather in person because of COVID has sapped people's resilience to stress. Others point to another plague, and that is social media and smartphones. Now, not only has social media led to a growing divide politically, but it actually has been found to warp teenage brains. Who knew? Causing anxiety, depression, impulse control problems, and sleep disorders. I was reading a book by John, Dr. John Twenge. He's the author of the best-selling book, iGen, and it's found that this generation of teens, when compared to the teens of the 1970s, are less likely to go out with peers, more likely to say they feel left out and lonely, and more likely to report that they don't enjoy life. Those rates went up markedly in 2012, and that was the year that smartphones came on the market. So I find myself preaching on joy in a time when our unity has been stressed to the breaking point. We give grace, we give less grace to each other on the phone, we give less grace to each other in person. And so while I can confess to you that I'm caught in this swirl of anxiety, if statistics are right, I am not the only one. And then I read Colossians 3. And that is why Colossians 3 is wonderful and amazing. Chapter 3 reminds us of a whole new way of living where Christ's resurrection opens up everything for us. Following Jesus, and here comes that word again, means we are a new humanity, a new person made whole. And we leave behind the old person, our old self, because our lives are joined to the risen Jesus Christ. Verse 1, set your mind on things above. When our minds are set on Christ, when our minds are set on building up the body of believers, it's hard to be and it's hard to get caught in the anxiety of web, the web of anxiety 
of people-pleasing, of gossip. So the analogy that I have for this new life is one that I read, but I really like it. It's of a cocoon where a butterfly comes out and learns to fly. Can a butterfly go back into the cocoon and come out as a caterpillar? No, it cannot. Once it's a butterfly, that's what it is, a butterfly. You come out of your cocoon. Now, it might take you time to grow spiritually, but once you are a new creation in Christ, that is who you are. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5:17, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten, and everything is new. The greatest step of faith we can take in our lives is to believe the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. The next greatest step is to believe who we have been created to be, who Jesus Christ has changed us to be this new creation. The Bible says in Romans 6.14, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, and here's the words that make me smile, you live under the freedom of God's grace. The good news we read of in Colossians is that regardless of who we are, regardless of our past, regardless of our social situation, regardless of what culture says, we are unified into one body of believers. My funny mind thought us, of us all as butterflies floating around, but we're not going to go there. Verse 11 says this. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But again, here's those words. Christ is all and is in all. Christ is is all and is in all. Since Christ dwells in all believers, regardless of background or social status, we have to make sure that we are not allowing any division, we are not allowing any prejudice to take root in this body of believers. The stigma of being different must be loved away as we strive within diversity because Christ is all and is in all. So the question that I had to ask myself and the question I ask you is, is Christ in control of all? Do you allow him to be in control of some things? Or do you allow him to be in control of all? Is he truly all in all in your life? And if Christ lives in you, is there an expression of, free, of joy because of the freedom that you receive from him? And is that freedom something that we have, as a body of believers share with others? Christ is all and is in all. That means that no part of human existence remains untouched by the loving Father God who has liberated us through Jesus Christ. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious, irreligious, insider, outsider, civilized, uncouth, slave, free, they don't mean anything anymore. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included because of Jesus Christ. And because we are alive in him, we must seek the things above, put off the earthly, and put on this renewed image. Colossians 3.11, Christ is all and in all. 
Galatians 3.28, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. It's wrong to build a church fellowship on anything other than Jesus Christ, his person and his work. One of the evidences of spiritual growth and renewal of mind is a willingness to receive and to love all who sincerely know Christ and who seek to glorify him. It means seeking out those who are lost because they don't know who Jesus is and sharing this freedom that we have with them. And within this community, there's no class, no class of one or the other. Men and women of completely different origins can gather together and they can experience unity in Christ, sharing a common allegiance to their Lord. Christ is all that matters. This is from Peter T. Bryan. Christ is all that matters. He lives in all members of his body, regardless of race, class, or background, giving them life and power. So how do we as Bethel Church bring joy to God? How do we make this a community of joy for each other? Our life and our call and our journey is one headed towards the promise of resurrection and a God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The good news for us today is this. Even if we're weighed down by the world, even if we're stressed and anxious and we see things that we shouldn't be focusing on, Jesus Christ promised us freedom. I'm going to call the band up and then I want to talk about a quote from Oswald Chambers. It says this, Joy comes from seeing the complete fulfillment of a specific purpose for which I was created and born again, not from successfully doing something of my own choosing. The specific purpose for which you were created was to glorify God and to edify the body. So let's read that again. Joy comes from seeing the complete fulfillment of a specific purpose for which we were created and born again, not from successfully doing something of our own choosing. I asked Selica to hang this here because this is a visual representation of us, the body of Christ. What this is a representation of is all the fingerprints that you all put on there, but they are all pointing and leading towards the cross. They are always together in that ornament. They are all standing together in that facing towards Jesus posture. This is a gift of joy. Joy in seeing that the prophets, the prophets that spoke of Jesus' coming, that was fulfilled. Joy in knowing that Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death on our behalf. Joy in knowing that he has promised to come again. The church is called to proclaim this joy to the world. And that is the gift that we need in our lives, and that is the gift that we share with others. The gift of joy. Knowing that Christ is everything. Christ is all. And Christ is in all. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, your first coming brought joy to a waiting people. And like expectant children, we now wait for you to come again. We rejoice that you have not only adopted us as your children, but you have set us free and created us to be a new humanity before you. 
Thank you, Father, for taking all the things in our lives and distilling them down to this. You are in all, and you are for us. Thank you, Father. Would you give us the opportunity to share this word with others? In your precious name we pray. Amen.